G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast talks about domestic violence and death. It contains adult themes and coarse language. If you need help or you are affected by such issues, you can contact your nearest help centre, such as Lifeline on 13 1114 or DV Connect on 1800 811 811. Discretion is advised. Okay, welcome to a bonus episode of Vino Valley Road. Uh, I am joined by Alison, Katie, Genevieve, and hopefully Jay soon. So you heard from Genevieve and Jay in episode five, and you heard from Katie in episode Watch the World Burn, and also an Australian story. So I'm joined by these people who have obviously a very important date coming up, the anniversary of Kira's death. It'll be seven years, so it's quite sad. So I thought we could get together and just have a bit of a reunion and see where everyone's at. We recorded this episode a few days ago, but the anniversary of Kira's death is the 18th of July, 2014. So yesterday marked seven years. So I'll start with you, Alison. How are you doing? Um, yeah, it, it, it's always a difficult time mm-hmm. of year. I was kind of trying to concentrate more on her birthday and move away from thinking about what happened over this period of time seven years ago. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Like we're getting little steps forward. Um, things are happening that are supposed to happen and, um, we are getting somewhere, so it, yes. But it, it, yeah, still doesn't take the sting away. It's still, no, you know. How do you feel about everything now that the dust has settled? Um. Well, I think we were blessed to have Her Honor Jane Bentley uh, as as the coroner because she just saw things so clearly and, you know, she emphasised the points that I've been emphasising all along. It's like 
somebody finally, you know, got it and it was somebody of great yes. importance. So, yeah, it was it was good. It was a release. It was it was all sorts of things. Um, but it was a very big weight off my shoulders, I, I must say, um, because the results were better than we could have thought. Absolutely. And Katie, how about yourself? <laughs> I honestly don't know what to say. Honestly, I just I don't know what to say. What the um, what um, the Honourable Jane Bentley had to say, like fifty-five pages written in regards to that coronial inquest was just yeah, and for her to come to her conclusion and it was just amazing. Was it a relief for you to? Be validated by someone of her stature to accept what you said and take it as evidence and very very much so to even be acknowledged by someone of that ranking and that stature and for even to stop me when I gave my evidence to stop me and thank me for stepping forward was just mind-blowing because, you know, I've never thought of myself as anybody. I've always been a nobody. So, you know, to some, someone like that to actually acknowledge my existence mm-hmm. even. When really. I read the report, when I read the coronial, to hear the coroner summarise and, and accept evidence that were somehow disregarded, not maybe, maybe not disregarded, but maybe they didn't hold much weight. So like the neighbours and, you know, maybe your evidence, Katie, but the fact that the coroner accepted that, took it on and acknowledged his abhorrent history with women, uh, for me, it was a win. I thought that was amazing. Mm. It was. Because they don't always do that. No, they don't no. always do that, but... I, I do have to throw it in there that it none of this would have happened without no. you. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> Oh, name. thanks, Alison. My number one fan. Always. Well, uh, <laughs> I am, yes. No, I appreciate that. And also, so Genevieve, uh, you are a friend of, uh, um, sorry, you are a friend of Kira, also a friend of Alison, but you're a friend of Kira as you were growing up. So I also saw you at the coronial inquest. You came up to to be Alison's support. How are you doing and how did you find the coronial findings? Yeah, it was... um, I wasn't really sure what to expect or how I was going to cope. And I know Alison was very worried for me, which I I obviously really appreciated. But um, it might seem a bit strange to say, but it actually helped me to hear everything in sort of like a clinical setting like it wasn't um I obviously feel the emotions of what happened to Kira very strongly and it's something I feel every day but it kind of helped me to hear it set out in dot points I guess like you know this is what happened this is when it happened this is what the result of this injury was um because I've spent you know every day of the past seven years 
knowing what happened to Kira in like a roundabout way or sort of a conceptual way, but it really helped me to sort of focus in on exactly what happened. And I, um, maybe it's like, you know, the medical drama in me (laughs) (laughs) that, um, needs to sort of have a clinical explanation for the things that happened. But, um, you know, I was blown away. I think the, the way that you just use validated is exactly what I said to Alison when I spoke to her after the findings came down, it was like, we've all of us, we've always known what happened. We knew who did it. Um, but it was just this massive relief and this feeling of validation to have somebody like, like to have the coroner agree with what, with what we had thought. No, you're right. And like, I was the same. I mean, Alison, when we first um, met, we, we talked about the case and the possibility of doing a podcast. I mean, you had your ideas of what had happened. You've heard from several sources. and But really, the, it was so unclear what had actually taken place that night. No one was saying anything. And now, after the coronial, I learned so much and it was really good for me as well to actually be able to hear all those accounts come together and actually form a puzzle piece that was just a puzzle before. Now it's like actually a whole puzzle Pieces of the puzzle now are a puzzle. There we go. Um, that's what I was trying to go for. But that was really good for me. And I'm so stoked that those two neighbours, their evidence was accepted because that was huge. I really think it's huge anyway. But, but, but keeping in mind also that um, Damo was a minor yeah. when mm. he came in the original case, but he is no longer a minor. So I would think... Um, possibly that would have held more weight, the fact that he wasn't a minor now. Um, You know, I'm not excusing them for overlooking him because he was a very aware um, young man. I've known him for many years. Um, So I was really pleased that that was accepted and taken as gospel, which... He wouldn't have said it if it wasn't. Absolutely. He's got no reason to lie. But on that note, he was only 15. I mean, what 15-year-old is mature enough to remember every single detail of a major event and recall it to the police in the following days? I mean, the memory has a funny way of coming back to you. And, I mean, most people wouldn't be able to be as good as a witness as he was, uh, let alone a 15-year-old. So it's hard being a witness. No, Crystal clear. He was crystal clear. Mm. And depending on depending on the type of police you've got right in your face too, you never know, you know, how how that poor child's going to react depending on how he's being treated by those police. You know, and, you know, the poor kid's probably sitting there shitting himself like, what, you know, am I in trouble and am I going to get myself in trouble if I say anything wrong? So, you, you know, you never know how that poor kid's going to you know, react. No. So, Katie, your story has been getting a lot of traction and a lot of people message me, email me. I know they talk to Alison as well on Facebook and I get lots of emails and, you know, one of the points they touch on out of the whole podcast is the episode with you and how much they had no idea about what domestic violence actually is and how hard it is to get out and how much they appreciated your your honesty and your vulnerability. So I think as hard as that was for you, I think you should know 
how much that meant to a lot of people who listened to it. And you should wear that badge with honor because you've been there, you fought it, it didn't kill you. Now you're out here and you have a chance to help someone and you have helped people. So be proud of that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Even Katie, my former boss, um, after he watched the show, he called me the next day and he spoke about how amazing you were and it really made him rethink a lot of his views that he'd had before. So, like, you just can't <laughs> underestimate how powerful it was. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, in all honesty, Jamie was the very first person who was not within my close-knit circle who I had actually spoken to very openly about what I had been through. So, but that was why it was yeah. so raw, darling. Because Ex- that, that's exactly right. That it was, and I'm so yeah, glad you that's, did. That's exactly right. I'm so sorry. I swore so much, but that's that's it. That's it. I was I was put on the spot. I was. You know, that's that, and that's why it was so much like that. Yeah. Like, you know, I suffer, I suffer from social anxiety so freaking bad. And that's why it was so raw like that because, and that's exactly what it, what, what it was like. It was, it literally was a living hell. And honestly, I am so glad I got away, but. I kick myself and I kick myself every bloody day that I didn't get Kira out as well. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, you need to let that. I mean, it's easier said than done, but from the outside, I mean, you're not to blame. And Alison doesn't hold any negative emotions to you. and So much. And I just, no matter what, I'm, no matter what, I'm always going to kick myself. Because I tried, I tried so hard, but, and no matter what, I'm going to hold so much animosity towards him for the rest of my life because I just, I know how evil he is and how he gets his claws. I think you summed up really well one day when you called it mind fuckery. And that's. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much it, too. Yeah. Mind fuckery is a very powerful thing that. Some people possess, but I mean, yeah. thankfully, none of us do. But there are mind fuckers out there. <laughs> Other people call it coercive yes. control. Yes. You know that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes, but in layman's just terms, yes. coercive control, <laughs> medical terms. Yeah, exactly. That's the politically correct term, coercive control. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise known as mind fuckery. So anyway, let's let's talk about Kira as a person. So Genevieve, you only had like fifteen minutes on episode five. Let's have a bit more time now. You get you can you can spread your wings a bit more. What comes to mind now when you when you think about Kira all these years later? I think just how much she loved, how loving she was. Um, um, I feel like. I feel like I shared the same maybe 10 memories of her because it was so long ago and we don't get to make any more memories, which is really quite sad. But there are also things that are like ingrained on my heart and that will never go away. But yeah, when I think of Kira, I just think of her big, beautiful smile and 
I think of the two little, do you remember the plat, the two little, the two plaits she used to wear, Alison, especially in high yes. school? I think of yes. the two plaits under her little red and white school hat. <laughs> um, I used to sit there and do them every morning. Yep, yep. And they were, they were so long, but um, it's, quite, <laughs> it's, it's interesting the longer that she's gone, the different things that I remember and the different things that I focus on. Like I probably never would have thought about her plats before but now if I think of her it's like that first memory I have is her at school in those plats but um you know like not at all memories of her is um I used to stay at Allison's place with Allison and Kira basically every Friday night because I was working at um Kira's grandmother's shop so I'd stay with them and then we drive into work together the next day we probably would have been I don't know 18 19 or something like that I'm not maybe younger but um one night I wasn't 18 yet and her and her another friend of ours went to a party and um yeah like I said I wasn't quite 18 yet so I couldn't go but all of a sudden I lived in this really dark driveway and I could see these headlights and we didn't really lock the door because it was sort of a more rural-ish area and I hear these like footsteps and obviously I'm like panicking a little bit, like there's somebody in my house, but the door opened and it was Kira and she like jumped on top of me and she was like hugging me and she was like, I missed you. I didn't, you're not coming to stay with me tonight. And I had to come and see you on the way home. And I was like, where, where's Vanessa? Like, where's, where's Vanessa? She's like, she's in the car. She'll be fine. I just wanted to see you. And she was just like lying on top of me and hugging me. And I'm like, Kira, like it's 2am, like get off me, go away. But, um, I just, that's something that really makes me smile. Mm. And that's like, she used to do stuff like that all the time. And what 18 year old does that, you know, like she was just a very unique Mm unique person was was there anything that you heard in the podcast or in the coronial that you didn't think was fitting to her like that was wrong or maybe you need to correct I think one thing that's already been corrected is Kira never took anybody else's drugs or medication so for me when that was sort of put out as a theory that she'd overdosed or that, you know, she'd taken someone else's medication. That didn't sit right with me because she never, she was not a drugs person. That was not something I'd ever had um, or would have thought of her doing. That's probably the first thing that springs to mind. I guess it's hard because a cranial inquest, it does look at the facts and it doesn't talk. She's sorry. She was very anti-drug. She was so anti-drug. So for me, I knew that that wasn't even a possibility and I was really happy that that was proven that that couldn't be a theory. But, um, yeah, I think the only thing is because inquests do stick with facts so much, it just didn't show the kind of caring person that she was. And it probably, maybe it made her seem a little bit, you know, it's no secret that her relationship started as an affair and I think that maybe some people might have a negative, like they might think of that and they might think about it quite negatively, which, I mean, I understand, but it doesn't really show like the actual person that she was and to know that that being a, a home wrecker and I, I use that term just because I can't yeah. think of another word, that's not the kind of person that she was. No, that's definitely not what she was at all. And that, you know, that's 
Like that was never her intention at all. And nobody has the right to judge either. No, absolutely. Not at all. Doesn't matter how anyone behaves, Kira or anybody else on the planet or any other planet. Um, you know, we I tell that to the grandchildren. We don't have the right to say, I'm right, you're wrong, and your point of view doesn't count because you're wrong. You have to accept that people have different point of views and that's just how it's going to be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I also spoke to Jay, one of Kira's best friends, and you heard from him in episode five. I asked him if there was anything he would like to clear up after hearing the podcast and the reactions from social media. Oh, look, to be, to be honest, I think it's been covered really quite well. There's been different variations. Look, at the very start again, when, when Alice and I were first speaking with you guys, look, we were all kind of going, oh, getting, there was so much being said and so much that wasn't making sense or adding up. Uh, so I think for what you guys particularly did and then Australian Story and everything going through, I think it put a really clear timeline, a really clear structure of what happened pre and, and post the event. Um, <clears throat> I did struggle a, a little thing a, a, with a few things, obviously, regarding his family um, when they were jumping on with the podcast and how they kind of spoke about Kira. Like, I've known Kira since I was six years old um, and and we we grew into teenagehood together, adulthood. Yes, I moved to, to Queensland kind of in our thing, but we've, we've always been really tight. Um, so I kind of, I, I, I struggled with how I, as a listener, knowing her so well, how she was kind of getting perceived, I, I felt by, by his family and, and by members, like, look, it was very helpful, his sister coming and everything that she had said and, and explained and, um, and, and so forth. But I don't know how to say this without sounding like an asshole, but I, I, I don't know. I've kind of felt like they were putting her in a level and bringing her down to their level. Um, Kira, I was, Kira was never a loud mouth, trashy, bogarty, smashing people up at her party and taking, taking drugs and uh, type of girl. Like, that's just not who she is. Um, and for the fact that the coroner even found them the next day, like when there's always talk, there was no alcohol or drugs in the system. Kira was even not a big drinker, let alone, like, even, even yeah, there was many times I was like, no, there was no way I could, I, I, I know her very well. I wouldn't. Um, and not saying that there's levels of drugs, but like I wouldn't even see Kira have a joint. She was very antsy against drugs. So, so I, I really struggled with that that particular episode, and that sort of rundown where the person I felt they were talking about was not the person I knew. And granted, you do get older and your lives change and you go apart and and things like that. But I had still dropped through Gibby and, and seen Kira and the kids. We spoke on the phone regularly, and I was I I would never have pigeonholed her in a position of drug taking, being pissed and drinking all night, and starting fights. And that just that's just not not the person that I knew. So I I, I really struggled with that. I, I remember speaking with Alice straight after and going, oh, I don't I, I don't think that that really shone anything about what Kira was. I, I think it was more a, a tactic to bring her down to their level to then able to kind of explain where they were at or, or something but yeah uh, yeah so I, th- I think that was probably the only thing but otherwise i think everything was covered really quite well but what kind of kept getting forgotten was the fact that she was a 27 year old woman with four kids and um 
look, there was lots of feedback coming from everyone saying she was a ray of sunshine, she was positive, like she had a smile, lit the room and and things like that. But, yeah, I think there was a little bit more focus on the fact that she was um, partying and drinking and drug taking and and stuff. And I, I just, I, I know who she is. She may have been, that may have happened at her house, but her partaking in it, I find very unlikely. I have to say that I read a lot of the comments on, you know, the posts on Facebook or Instagram and stuff. I don't remember ever seeing somebody say she deserved it because X, Y, Z. And I think that that's, um, I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying I've never seen it. And I bring that out because in the world that we live in now, it's so easy to judge and it's so easy to. Um, blame. To, yeah, to put blame. Yeah. And yep. I think that that's actually something to call out as a positive and to say that's a great thing that nobody's sort of gone that far into it because she didn't no. deserve it. Yeah, that is one thing I have noticed with Kira's case is there has not been any victim blaming. It's mm-hmm. all been about why has her murderer not been convicted? That's oh, there I- is a little bit of victim blaming actually oh, if you look. Um, oh, has there um, been? Oh, yes, there has. Um, That's not good. That's not on. Don't worry, Katie, you and I, we're a great little team of. Oh, okay. Discouraging (laughs) Now I know. (laughs) All good. (laughs) All good. (laughs) Now I know. (laughs) So back to the point, yeah, victim blaming. We've had a couple of of, um, comments, but, I mean, those people just show that they're not uh, very smart. And don't have any empathy because, I mean, these things happen to every. We all make mistakes in our life, and no one's saying anyone's perfect. Um, but nobody deserves to be flogged to death. We have laws in society for a reason, and if people can't live within that, then we need to do something about it. And nobody deserves to be ignored for seven years either. I mean, I suppose it's seven years. It wasn't ignored for. I was only ignored for four and a half. Um, yeah, but no. nobody deserves that That's either. Right. It was just too vital a person. You can't, you can't just pretend she didn't happen. Not I think all. it's remarkable, and I know everybody who listens here will find it remarkable that Katie and Alison have a very close bond now, and you know they which I think is just incredible. And it speaks to both your characters because, <laughs> you know, you put those that situation with anybody else and there'd be animosity no matter who they were, you know, they'd be blaming, they'd be whatever. But you two have just managed to find that mutual ground and make a positive thing out of it, which is really, really incredible. But all she ever did was try Absolutely, to but people always try and find a way to blame, but you haven't done that. So that's you know, speaks to your character. Well, thank you. But I I, I think also, you know, Katie's got to realise that she more than anybody tried so hard, but I more than anybody know how stubborn my darling daughter was. Yes, Genevieve, I see you grinning from you <laughs> to it. And... So there's no way you would have changed her mind. And she and I shared things that I would not even discuss on this podcast. But the fact that she didn't tell me that this was going on 
now, you know, obviously it was a lot more serious because if it wasn't, like, Previously, if it had just been, you know, a bite, I'd heard about it all day, every day. Um, Alison, you were breaking up there a bit. For all those who missed that, you you said that you you two shared everything, and you shared some pretty pretty deep stuff you wouldn't talk about on the podcast, even. But she didn't tell you about what was going on with her partner, and that must have been pretty serious if she didn't mention it to you. She knew I'd be there with an army. She knew I'd be there. I would find a way to do something about it. Like, if you haven't figured that out by now, you know, I, I find a way to do something about things. Um, and she knew that. And obviously my health had been threatened and uh, that would be why she gave me the health charm for Christmas, which was so uncharacteristic. And... Um, she was not prepared to risk anything happening to me. That's what he does. He he threatens every family member, every friend, everybody important around you. And that's why she wouldn't have called Mama. That's why she wouldn't have called Alison at all. But she used to call me and let me know what he was doing. And I told her and explained to her every time, you know what to do. I've told you and explained to you many times. I've told you about all the times I've had to call the police because of him. You know, I I told her about every time that everything that I went through with him, I told her everything, you know, like we were friends, we were friends. You know, we did our shopping together. We, you know, drove from where we lived into Gympie. We had six hours from when the kids went to school to before they get home, rush in, rush all the way around, get all the shopping done, get everything we needed to get done and get out. (laughs) But the thing is, too, that when I first met it, it had a way of blaming everything on you. Oh, yeah. Who I did not know at that stage. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, this is what she did to me here and this is what she did to me here. Yeah, because um, I was defensive. Because I was defensive. Exactly. And and I'm thinking in my head, well, no sane person does that to another person unless they're in, sorry, darling, unless they're in fear of their life. And... I couldn't understand why Kira couldn't see that. I think she was just blinded by her feelings. Well, no, I think it went past that, Jen. I think she was initially blinded by her feelings, but I think after that it went to coercive control majorly because everyone everyone says she was trying to get rid of it. She was trying to get it out. Because that's exactly the way he works. That is exactly how they work. At first it's love bombing, love bombing. Then it's attack you when you're off guard. Then it's love bombing again. Then it's threatening anybody that is close to you and anybody that you love and care about and including your animals. And then it is putting the fear into you so that um, you're that shit scared 
that you just, and that's how quickly they move because, and that's, as I said, that's the mind fuckery because that's how quickly they move. You're just scattered. And obviously if anybody out there is in a domestic violence relationship or they think they might be in a DV relationship, you can get help at DV Connect, which is 1-800-811-811. And you can also uh, go to the police station or go to the courthouse and seek advice there, but don't suffer in silence. Katie is a testament to life on the outside of DV. And we're very thankful that she joined us in this podcast because we wouldn't have had that insight without you. So thank you. She's a warrior. She's thrived. She's just an absolute legend and doesn't even realise it. And lastly, here is a positive memory from Jay. He reflects on Kira offering to be a surrogate mother for him. Yeah, she was. So so my ex and I, we were, we were together for 10 years in total. Um, she knew that we were looking at having children and I talked about her with, with Kira when she had separated with Roger, her husband. Um, She'd always said this was something that she wanted wanted to do for me, and I used to be like, "Well, this is a huge ask." And um, I'm, I'm in Melbourne at the time, and she was in Queensland. Um, but as we sort of got on the process and what we need to do, she was she was so excited about it. She was um, again, we've grown up since we were six. Like we, we were each other's best friends, kind of first love, dated in primary school, and um, yeah, I just it's we kind of had that 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 whole field of relationships of, of friendship to sibling love to kind of a dating love to a sibling love to. Kira was an only child, and and so I, I went away on family holidays with her. I went, um, so so for her for her to be able to do this for me, I think she felt it was something that she knew would cement us our friendship to another level. We would we would potentially we'll essentially have a child to, together, um, and she was really excited about being Arnie Kira to to our biological child. But she she was like, look, I've I've got my own kids. I've got four kids. I don't want to have any more kids. I love being pregnant. Um, so now I get to do this for you. So so we started all that that kind of process. We're looking into legal aspects. Kira was looking into medical things that she had to do. And we're chatting kind of weekly on the process of of where we're getting at. And then obviously Paul had sort of started coming in the picture. He was aware of it, was perfectly fine with it um, at the initial get-go. Um, but that obviously turned quite quickly as, as the relationship turned quite quickly and as it all got quite controlling and and quite aggressive, then it became very a very negative thing about how he wanted to have children with Kira, but Kira had very clearly stated that she's not having any more children. Um, he had children, she had her own children. She she was never in that that mindset. So um, yeah. So then that was it was kind of became a bit more awkward. So we we I, I to me I I kind of started pulling back. I went look, we need to. I I was more concerned in what she was actually getting into. Um, and I I remember specifically having the conversation with her of. Um, the, the few things of when when Paul had started getting a little bit aggressive, and she'd say things like, "Look, I'm I'm trying to help him. When it's great, it's great. When it's bad, it's bad. But you know, I'm strong and I can take it." And and that used to really really get to me. I, I mentioned to you in the first one. I said, "If Lexi said that to you, her, her daughter, how would you be okay with her to continue seeing this man?" Um, she said, "No way." Um, but then we had the conversations of, well, "You can't be a surrogate and be carrying out baby if you're going to be in a situation where you may be getting." hurt by your partner um that's not safe for you that's not safe for the child that's not safe for so it became quite a um i think i pulled back a little bit more akira was still saying through going cool this is the next update this is where i'm at but um yeah look i was a little bit concerned of what she was in and, and what we were kind of facing there and, and trying to spend more time on trying to get her to get out of that than than what we when we originally were we kind of started talking surrogacy it was huge i remember that one of the stages was that kira had to prior she had to see like the, the legal proceedings that she had to go and see a psychologist 
make sure that she was aware of what she was doing, using her body as an oven for nine months, and it would be her egg as well. So she would be genetically, um, I don't know, drawn and, and motherly to the child, but so it could be really quite hard. Um, and so she had to sit and do, like, part of the process was to see with a psychologist and had to do all this stuff. And Kira straight away was like, I, I, I'm quite confident I don't need this type of process because I know exactly what I'm doing. If I was doing this for somebody else and it was a paid thing, then yeah, I'd probably need to get my head around it, but I'm doing it for you. And this is, I will still see this child all my life as my niece or nephew. I will, and then when they're old enough, they will get to understand that Arnie Kira is their biological mother. And um, so she really didn't, I, I was the one more pushing that I need you to make sure that you are aware of what you're doing and this huge task that you're, this huge gift that you're doing and this huge, this huge process. And um, she was just so assured that it was the, the, the most exciting thing to happen. Yeah, so I did. I spoke a lot to, to who Kira's character was. She, um, she, the, the, if you were loved by Kira in her her life circle and her love circle, um, you knew it. So that's it for the reunion episode. Thank you to Jay, Genevieve, Allison, and Katie for joining me here in the podcast. Thank you to each and every single one of you for listening to this podcast, for supporting it, for sharing your messages and emails please continue to do so and i will update you as soon as possible with any information we have in regards to kira's case stay tuned for a preview of my new podcast called tear it down the first episode of tear it down is out now as supporters of my last shows, Ben and Valley Road and Who Killed Leanne Holland, I would love if you could head to Tear It Down and give it a listen. In the first episode, we hear from Matt O'Kine, an Australian actor, producer, author and podcaster. I just bombed. I hated it. I just didn't do well. I felt really out of place and I felt embarrassed by my set and I walked away from that whole experience. I felt like I'd gone to the Olympics and I'd, and I'd not even false started I, f- I felt like i'd just come last in my first heat and i and i had just not put in a good race you know and so that was something that i after that i came back realizing that how important it is to pace yourself and how important it is to look after yourself throughout every stage of the process and making sure that you actually have gas in the tank to complete to go all the way to the end instead of burning out in the production execution phase when it comes to mental health we all have a story We just have to listen. It's time to tear the stigma down. One story at a time. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean and Bailey Road is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and produced by myself, Jack Peltz. The theme music is... Peace of Heaven by Pete Allen. And thanks to Baba Beats for providing some music for this podcast. And as always, thank you to Audio Technica and Zoom for supporting me in my podcast journey. Please, guys, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. And also you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bean and Valley Road. Thanks.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.